Welcome to Sacramento Central Seventh-day Adventist Church, and thank you for joining us for Central Study Hour. Wherever you are and however you are joining us, we are very, very happy that you're here. Uh, you could have chosen anywhere else, anywhere in the world to worship, and you've decided to be with Sacramento Central, so welcome. Our first song this morning is hymn 517, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. This comes as a request from Hope Beale right here in Sacramento, California. Let's sing the first and second verses of My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Our next song this morning is hymn 546, The Lord is My Shepherd. Now this comes as a request from Jessica Bias in Fair Oaks, California. Let's sing the first, second, and third verse of hymn 546, The Lord is My Shepherd. rendition of this psalms 23 if you have a special request 
uh, visit us at our website, just like Jessica did at sackcentral.org. Click on the contact us link. Make sure to tell us where you're from and choose any song that is in our hymnal and we'll be singing with you every Sabbath coming. Our next song this morning uh, is from a new topical theme of the priesthood. And that is hymn 177, Jesus, Your Blood and Righteousness. I believe your precious blood, which at the mercy seat of God pleads for the captive's liberty, was also shed in love for me. Christ our Savior is pleading for us right now, and thank God for his blood and for his righteousness that can be ours. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your intercession. We thank you for the blood that can cleanse us and that can make us righteous, Lord. This morning we ask that you be with us as we study. Penetrate this sanctuary, penetrate our hearts as we learn about you as Christ and Lord of the Sabbath. This morning we ask that your Holy Spirit rest on Pastor Chris as he brings us your holy word. And all these things we ask in your name, amen. Our lesson study this morning will be brought to us by Pastor Chris Buttery, our senior pastor at Sac Central Church. Thank you very much and good morning. Good to see you. Happy Sabbath to you. What a uh, beautiful day it is today in sunny Cali Cali California, Sacramento, California. And uh, it was good that we had some rain this last week. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, 
And uh, for those that are viewing us, we are grateful that you're tuning in as well. Uh, glad you're joining us. We want to make sure you uh, call in to receive your free offer. Uh, it's a CD or DVD version of this presentation, and you just need to call in. It's offer number 21518, and you just need to call in at 916-457-6511 or email us at csh at saccentral.org. And we'd love to hear from you as well. Let us know where you're uh, viewing from. Let us know how you're enjoying and appreciating the programs. Uh, just a special shout-out to four individuals across this country. Carol Sue in Oregon, who is joining us, and Suzanne or Susan in Maine, uh, Mike in Mustang, Oklahoma. Gotta love that uh, name of that town, right? Mustang, Mustang, Oklahoma, and <clears throat> Dennis in Illinois. Glad you're tuning in and viewing here this morning. And uh, this morning's lesson is Christ as Lord of the Sabbath. We're gonna uh, get right into our study here this morning. It's lesson number five in the uh, Sabbath School uh, Bible Study Guide. And those that are uh, watching and viewing, if you don't have a copy of this lesson, we want to make sure that you, uh, you get a copy of the lesson. You go to our website, saccentral.org, click on the CSH banner, and it'll take you right to that page, and you can just click on uh, the little link there for the, uh, for the Sabbath School lesson. So make sure you get a copy to, to join us each, uh, each week. Well, let's look at our memory text here. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And uh, notice what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Um, it's interesting that God didn't make the Sabbath and say, you know what, I've got a day here, I don't know what to do about it. It's kind of hanging and floating. Let me, ah, I've got an idea. Let me make someone to enjoy that day. No, that's not how it worked. God said, the Bible says that He made man and then He gave man the Sabbath. According to Jesus, uh, Sabbath was made for man, given to man. And uh, as, a, as a day of rest and a day of relationships, a day of ministry and a day of mercy. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here uh, this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're over, going to be looking at Mark, or rather Luke chapter 4. This is a, the gospel according to Luke. And we're going to delve into our study. Over recent years, there's been a growing interest in the Sabbath. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, not long ago, Christianity Today featured an article listing the contributors' five top books related to the subject of the Sabbath. And uh, not too long ago, Senator Joe Lieberman, who is a Jew, uh, wrote a book entitled The Gift of Rest, Rediscovering the Beauty of the Sabbath. And since then, there's just been a flurry uh, of books on this particular subject. Um, now, despite the likely reason for this having to do more with the fact that we live in a frazzled and a frenzied world, uh, The Economist featured, by the way, an article not too long ago entitled, Why is Everybody So Busy? Uh, despite the fact that we live in a frenzied and frazzled world, and, and this is the reason why the Sabbath is probably talked about, not necessarily faithfulness to the Creator and His commandments, the topic of the Sabbath has nonetheless been given adequate, very adequate attention of late. And uh, unfortunately, however, when referring to the Sabbath, books written about the Sabbath don't always refer to the seventh-day Sabbath. It refers to actually the, uh, the first day of the week, the day most uh, Christians honor or keep in honor of the resurrection. 
Uh, the Gospel according to Luke, you remember, was written primarily to what audience? To the Jew or the Gentiles, that's right, to the Gentile audience. And it's interesting that uh, Luke refers to the Sabbath numerous times. As a matter of fact, Luke, who wrote the, the Gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts, mentions it uh, uh, 26 times in both. 17 times the Sabbath is mentioned in the book of Luke and nine times in the book of Acts. Uh, in, the, in the Gospels in the New Testament, the Sabbath is referred to 54 times. And so Luke uh, covers the topic about half, uh, half the amount of times it's mentioned in the, uh, in the Bible. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and John, they speak of the Sabbath nine times, and Mark mentions the Sabbath ten times. And it's interesting that Luke, when he talks about the Sabbath, doesn't refer to it as the Jewish Sabbath, he doesn't refer to it as the obsolete Sabbath, the Sabbath that we don't need to keep, the Sabbath that was nailed to the cross, he just refers to it as what? The Sabbath, as if it still is in existence and as if it still, uh, we are under, under obligation to honor and obey the Sabbath. He doesn't say it's something that, uh, that uh, you don't need to worry about anymore. It's just, an, and by the way, Luke, of course, was written well after the Gospel. Luke was written well after the cross, after Jesus died on the cross. Um, and uh, here he is still calling it the Sabbath. Uh, some may suggest that Luke didn't get the memo that the Sabbath was obsolete, but I don't think so. Here under inspiration, uh, we have Luke referring to the Sabbath as if the Sabbath is still a day to be honored and a day to worship on, you see. So this week's lesson turns us to Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath, how He observed it and how He set an example for us to follow it. Uh, we'll be looking at the Sabbath as the seventh day of the week, uh, as Saturday, not as Sunday, as, as is so popularly, popularly taught, and discovering that it is one of heaven's precious gifts to humanity, especially for these last days. So, we're on Sunday's lesson. Let's go over there, as His custom was. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Let's take a look here at, uh, at what it says. And we referred to this uh, story, this incident, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the third lesson of this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his, what? Custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So about halfway through Jesus' ministry, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. And um, it's the Sabbath on this particular instance, and according to Luke's account, Jesus was going to the synagogue as His custom was on the Sabbath day. Now, custom, literally, according to what was customary to Him. That's the original, the original Greek, according to what was customary to Him, to Jesus. He went in the synagogue on the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39, Luke records that uh, before he went to the cross, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. That's right. Um, and uh, here is, of course, a reference to the to Jesus spending time at the Mount of Olives to pray. So here, Jesus is uh, going to the the synagogue on the Sabbath, as his custom was. He goes to the Mount of Olives, as his custom was. This is something Jesus routinely did. They're matters of worship and they're matters of prayer. And uh, this would be more. It wasn't his custom to attend church on Sabbath as it was perhaps, let's say, a person's custom to visit Dairy Queen on Friday or on a Sunday afternoon, just a kind of a little family tradition. No, Jesus, it was His intentional 
habit to come to, ch to church on the day of worship so he could worship God. He set an example for us. And he came to the synagogue. Uh, literally, that just means assembly, a place where God's people assembled, came together in the church. Uh, the church is like that today. This was the focal point. The synagogue was the focal point of the Jewish community. Uh, and it came about, it seems, during and just after the Babylonian captivity. Tradition has it that it was the prophet Ezekiel who established the, the first synagogue. The Jews, uh, you understand, were dispersed throughout the world, and wherever there was uh, 10 adult ma Jewish males, a synagogue was to be erected in that community. Uh, the affairs of the synagogue and the community attached to it were under the supervision of a board of elders. Sounds, sounds like a church today, doesn't it? Yeah. More than any institution, the synagogue served uh, to preserve religion and culture and racial consciousness of the Jewish race. Uh, the synagogue was never a place where sacrifices were offer, offered. That was to be done over at the temple. But worship was held there uh, each and every Sabbath day. So during the week, uh, the synagogue was used as a local law court and as a school. Essentially, the synagogue, the church, was a place for scriptural instruction and a place for prayer for God's people. I want to show you a couple of verses here, take you to a couple of verses. Someone has for us Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Luke chapter 13, verse 10, if we could just see your hand, who's got that? Okay, Leticia has that back there. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 21, just a couple of quick verses before we get to Luke 13, 10. Notice what Mark says, talking about Jesus, they went into Capernaum, that is Jesus and his disciples. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straight away on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. It was customary of Jesus, as we read earlier, to go to church on the Sabbath and to worship with uh, like believers. Over in Luke chapter 6, verse 6, and we're going to get to that story in just a little bit, but Luke chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and he taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So it's very customary of Jesus to attend church on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Thanks, Leticia. Luke 13, verse 10 says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. You can't get around the fact that Jesus, thank you, can't get around the fact that Jesus attended church on the Sabbath. It was his custom, and he set an example for you and for me. There is no reason to suggest that Jesus abrogated, Jesus uh, uh, changed uh, the day of worship as his practice was. And some would say, well, he was a Jew. Well, we read there in Mark chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, uh, our memory text, the Sabbath was made for who? The Jews? No, man or mankind. It was made for everybody. When, when did the Sabbath, uh, when was the Sabbath instituted? Way back when? It wasn't at Sinai. That's right, it was at Eden. Even before there was sin, there was the Sabbath. God created man on the sixth day, man and woman, and uh, on the seventh day, he rested. He blessed the, the seventh day. He hallowed it. It was a special day that he set aside uh, for rest and for relationships, for, uh, for mercy and for ministry. And we'll talk more about uh, the blessings and how we can keep the Sabbath as we go along. Jesus didn't change anything. He was, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, he instituted it way back there. The Bible says He's the one who made everything, and He gave us the seventh day to rest on as He rested. 
So why should we make it our custom to go to church on Sabbath as Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Why? Well, number one, as His followers, uh, we're, uh, we're inclined to do as Jesus did, amen? Sure. Jesus set us an example. Peter talks about following in the footsteps of Jesus. And we, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are happy to obey uh, the commands of God, you see. As a matter of fact, Le- uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 3 talks about the Sabbath as being a holy convocation. Now, some folk who wake up Sabbath morning, you know, Jesus didn't wake up and flip, flip the coin to one, and see if it landed on heads or tails to determine whether he was going to go to church on Sabbath morning. Jesus, as his custom was, got up. He didn't flip a coin. He just said, I'm going to church. I'm going to worship, and I'm going to set an example. I'm going to teach, and, uh, and that's what he did. And there are some folk who wake up in the, on Sabbath morning wondering, what, do I feel good enough to go to church today? I wonder if this is a good day to go. Is the weather okay outside? If, some, if, if, somebody's got, if God has got to light a fire under a person to get to church on Sabbath, there's probably a little bit of a problem there, isn't there? Uh, as, as followers of Jesus, we want to be in church, and we want to worship God, and we want to come together. It's a whole, according to Leviticus 23, it's a holy convocation, a place where God's people come together in assembly. Another reason is uh, there's something about coming together. Independent family units, whether you be a family of one or whether you be a family of two or three or ten, uh, whether it doesn't matter, independent family u- units uniting together in God's house as one family to worship our Heavenly Father. There's just something about that. You can't replace that. Yes, we ought to spend time in worship with our families. We ought to spend time in the closet, Jesus said, uh, praying to Him and coming to our Father personally. Uh, but there's something about corporate worship that is done on the seventh-day Sabbath. Another reason we should make it our custom is because the Sabbath provides a public opportunity to affirm that God is our Creator and He's our Redeemer. We make a public declaration of our faith in Christ and of our fidelity and loyalty to Him. And then another reason is it gives us an opportunity for fellowship, to come together in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, uh, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as as is the habit or the custom of some, especially as you see the day approaching, come together. Um, He talks about inspiring one another to good works and encouraging one another. If a person figured that they could get a blessing uh, on the Sabbath by staying at home and just worshiping at home, then God would never have invented the church. God invented the church and He calls together His people to come and celebrate the Sabbath, to come together and worship Him in the church, to come together to exhort and encourage one another. Boy, we need that at times, don't we? Uh, I, think, uh, I think most of us probably sitting here, uh, most, of, most of you sitting here, work in an environment that probably is a little hostile or indifferent or not conducive to, to, uh, to your personal spiritual growth. And we're, we're in that environment all week long. God says, okay, come apart, come apart, come together and encourage one another when we, as you come to church and worship me. Don't just sit in the pew, connect with people. Uh, y- y- yes, during worship, we want you sitting there for sure. And you need to, God's word is going to be preached, be there. But, but don't just run out the door, connect with people, fellowship, invite people over to your home for lunch and, uh, and get, get connected. That's what the early church did. That's why they thrived and how they survived. They met in people's homes. Small group ministry, a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal thing that grew the early church and that will grow God's church and encourage God's people today, meeting in people's homes, coming together for corporate worship. That's what the Sabbath is for. So as his custom was, he went in the synagogue. 
on the Sabbath day. Let's go to Monday's lesson. Let's take a look at Sabbath, its meaning and its, its message rather, and its meaning. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Notice, uh, Jesus went into the synagogue. It was the Sabbath. He stood up to read and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, if it were the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, it would have been in a scroll with uh, handles. It would have been all scrolled up like this. But because it was the prophet Isaiah, it just had a top handle and it would be, it'd be rolled up this way and, and caught up. And typically, the uh, the equivalent of a deacon back then in the synagogue would hand this scroll to the speaker, the presenter for that day, uh, off of what they called the, the ark, and after the reading would take it back. Uh, so Jesus, it says, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, and then he began to read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 uh, through 3. So folk who attended the local synagogue in Jesus' day basically expected the Word of God to be shared and to be taught. That's why they came to church. They came to church to be instructed by the Word and to come together for a time of prayer. Coming to church today on the Sabbath provides each of us the opportunity to hear the Word of God taught and preached. If you're coming to church to hear platitudes, philosophy, someone just stand up and just, just spout off, you're coming, you're coming to hear the wrong thing. Uh, the, wor the Word of God is to be preached and to be proclaimed in the church on the Sabbath. Jesus stood up to read from the Scriptures, and then later He expounded on what he, he had read, and that's what the teacher or the preacher of that day would actually do on the Sabbath, you see. This is an opportunity coming together to church on the Sabbath is an opportunity to get another perspective on Scripture, a greater meaning, a richer experience from the Word of God. God, yes, will speak to each of us as we open the Word of God and we study it together, as we study it individually and collectively as a, as a family, uh, we, God will speak to us and we gain rich uh, understanding from our own personal study. But sometimes coming together and hearing the Word of God preached opens, opens a new perspective on the Word that maybe you hadn't thought about. God designed for us to come together to hear the Word of God preached. He has a, a real intention in mind to help us and to bless us and to encourage us. Amen. Uh, after all, God's people need their minds fortified with the Word of God if they hope to ever be successful in their uh, attempts to, uh, to, or if they're hoping to be successful against the enemy's devices. Psalms 119 and verse 11 says, Your Word, David said this, Your Word, God, I have hid in my heart that I might not, what, sin against you. Someone said, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. There is power in the Word of God. The Word that spoke this world and universe into existence is the Word that comes to our lives and our hearts and transforms and changes us. There's power in the Word of God. Um, let's uh, look at Luke chapter 14, 18 and 19. Let's read what Jesus read that particular day. Jesus said, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty excuse me, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus' ministry, and by the way, later He said, this day is this Scripture, what? Fulfilled in your ears. Jesus was saying, in essence, that, that Scripture, that was a messianic prophecy, Everyone understood it to be a messianic prophecy in, that, in those days. Jesus said that this day, the Scripture is fulfilled in your 
hearing. I'm the one that this scripture points to. As you read the rest of the story, they weren't too pleased about that. They weren't too happy about that. But in essence, Jesus was declaring his ministry. What is ministry involved? And what was that? In, in essence, if we were to sum it up in a couple of words, to do what? To set the captives free. That was the essence of Jesus' ministry, you see. Think about how close his role as Messiah is to the purpose and intention of the Sabbath for just a moment. Uh, someone has Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Okay, Mike has that. Uh, I want you to just turn with me to a couple of verses first. Exodus 20, verse 2. Exodus 20, verse 2. Can anyone tell me what, what's happening at Exodus 20? This is where God announces and declares, right, the Ten Commandments. Notice what it says. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of what? The house of bondage. That's right. So before Jesus declares his law, he's reminding them that he is the what? The liberator, the emancipator, right? The deliverer, the one who came to set the captives free. So before God issues his law and asks for and calls for obedience, he reminds them that he has, he's the liberator, the one who set them free, you see. He, he has saved them so that they can serve him. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what God was saying. He saved them for obedience and this is how God always works. Remember what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says? For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. And then in verse 10, he says, For we have been, we have been made, created. We have been. Should we take a look at it? It's not coming to my mind right now. It just jumped out of there. You ever had those moments? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good, good what? Unto good works. That's exactly right. Let me read it because uh, I, I botched that up. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So while we're saved by grace, we're saved for obedience. We're saved for service. And that's how God always works. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. And remember that you were a slave. Now, this is where God, Moses, is reiterating the Ten Commandments. And he adds a little something special to the fourth commandment. Notice Deuteronomy 5.15. And remember that you were slaves, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, some people, unfortunately, will read this and say, well, look, I'm not a Jew. I wasn't delivered from Egypt, so I don't need to keep the Sabbath. We need to remember here that this is only a recapitulation of what God already spoke on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, an effort to instill, Moses is, 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 is making an effort to instill in the minds of, of God's people of his leading in the past and his desire for wholehearted obedience today, you see. In essence, their deliverance from Egypt, and this is what God is saying, their deliverance from Egypt became another reason for their commitment to God. Yes, God made the Sabbath, God made the world in six days, rest of the seventh day, you see, and, uh, and calls for us to worship and remember the Sabbath according to that act back in creation. But also because He has liberated us and He has freed us. Um, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Mike, we're coming to you. Here we are. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Powerful. Did you notice what the Sabbath is a sign of? That God does what? 
sanctifies. Now, that word sanctify just simply means to set, be set apart for a holy use. God separated that day. The Sabbath day is not like any day. It's a special day. He separated, and he said, this is a special day, and there's certain things I want you to do. There's certain things I don't want you to do either on this special day. That the Sabbath is a reminder. It's a sign that God not only made this world, made you and I, but it's also a sign that he is the recreator of our lives our Savior. Over in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, Paul said, do you not know to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, we've become slaves to righteousness." Jesus set us free from sin, amen? And he calls for us to serve him with all of our hearts and to obey him. The Sabbath is a sign that God wants to and reminds us of his ability to recreate each of us into the image of God. Remember Psalm 51 verse 10, what did David pray? He had sinned against God, he was confessing to God his great sin, and he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew in me a right spirit. Well, the Sabbath day is a blessing, isn't it? It certainly is. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, God declares there to, to His people, take your foot off the Sabbath, declare the Sabbath a delight, holy of the Lord and what? Honorable. And uh, then He says, if you keep the Sabbath holy, you'll, I'll cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The Sabbath day is a blessed day. It should be the highlight of the week for each one of us. Amen? There is a question uh, Joel, you have a question for us, and we're going to come to you. Uh, it was, it's related to the question on the bottom of Monday's lesson, and uh, the, it, says, it says there on Monday's lesson, how has Sabbath-keeping helped you to understand better salvation by faith alone in that we can rest in what Christ has done for us as opposed to seeking to earn our way to heaven? That's a good thought question, isn't it? A great thought question. Um, the Sabbath day calls us to do what? Hit the pause button. It's kind of like uh, releasing the pressure valve after all that, the weekly uh, efforts and work that we're, uh, we're engaged in each, each and every day. And uh, it's a day where we actually can hit the pause button and trust that everything else God will take care of as we rest in Him and as we trust Him with our lives. The, the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is not a sign of legalism. It's a sign of faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's hard to stop. Okay, Lord, I've got to get this done, but now it's the Sabbath. Okay, I'm going to trust it into your hand, you see. Yeah. Um, Joel, you had that question. Yeah. In our lesson, it says, salvation by faith alone. Okay. Is that true? Can faith alone save us? All right, good question. Uh, basically, Jesus alone saves us. We know that. Jesus alone saves us. He initiated the plan of salvation. He came to claim us as his own. He, he died for us, he lived, suffered, and died for us, etc. However, without a faith response from us, all that Jesus has done and is doing is pointless. So, faith doesn't necessarily save us, Jesus does. But God requires a faith response from us. Uh, you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Why? Why? 
because we must respond to God's goodness, you see, in order for uh, what He's done for us and is doing for us to make a difference in our, in our very lives. Uh, several times Jesus healed people, on, uh, healed, healed, indivi- healed individuals, and He declared to them, go in peace, your faith has what? Made you whole. Now, it wasn't their faith that made them whole, it was Jesus that made them whole, but without their faith in response to Jesus, they wouldn't have been made whole. When Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk, if they just sat back and said, well, Lord, I believe it, but I'm just going to lie here a little bit longer just to see, if they didn't get up and exercise their faith and didn't exercise their muscles, then that life-giving energy and power wouldn't have come to their lives, you see. So, uh, yes and no, Joel. Yes and no, faith, 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 uh, in Christ alone saves us. Faith alone saves us. Uh, I guess, too, part of your question probably has to do with the obedience aspect of things. Faith leads us to obedience, like we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith, and then we are created. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are saved for obedience. We're not saved by obedience. I will say, though, can a person be saved while they are willingly disobeying? Can God take to heaven with Him someone who intends and insists on disobeying His revealed and expressed will? No. While we're not saved by obedience, we can't be saved without it. And it's very, very important that we understand. We come to Christ, He he sets us free from sin, and then instills in our lives the Holy Spirit, which leads us into obedience. So we're not saved by faith and obedience. We're saved by, we're not saved, saved by faith and works. We're saved by a faith that works. Is that all right? Does that make sense? I hope that helps some of us here today. Let's go over to Tuesday's lesson, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. Luke chapter 4, 31 to 37. After being rejected by his town folk, uh, Jesus withdrew himself and traveled from Nazareth. And by the way, Nazareth was up in a very high hill, about 1,100 feet above sea level. And he traveled down to Capernaum, which literally is down, 285 feet below sea level. He traveled down 20 miles down to the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says that it was his own city and uh, where he'd been ministering earlier. And being on the highway from Damascus to Jerusalem and Egypt and on the Mediterranean Sea, it was a terrific thoroughfare of travel, thus making the ministry of Jesus in that area powerful. That people would come in contact with Jesus and then take their encounter with Jesus to wherever they came from across that part of the world. And uh, here in, um, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 31 to 37, notice what it says here. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on what? On the Sabbath. So Jesus in, is in there in the synagogues teaching again. And they were what? Astonished at his teaching for his word was with what? authority. That's right. They were more, they were, they were very impressed with what Jesus had to say because he taught as one having authority, not with philosophy and not with platitudes. And, it, and if you have time, read Desire of Ages, page 253 and 254 to understand why they were so impressed, enamored with the words of Jesus. It wasn't that he just spoke the truth, but it was the way he spoke. There's a terrific description in Desire of Ages. But on this particular on a particular Sabbath, Jesus is confronted by a demon-possessed individual. Notice, goes on to say, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's very likely that this individual came, pressed into the presence of Jesus to be liberated and freed from him. And instead of 
what he wanted to say coming out of his mouth, the demon takes over and says, what do you want with us? And he confesses, the demon confesses that Jesus is the Holy One of God in the presence of all, even some perhaps doubting. Isn't, it's always Satan's objective to bring confusion and, uh, yeah, just confusion wherever the Word of God is proclaimed and preached. And so the devil comes into the midst of the synagogue here, declares Jesus to be the incarnate Messiah. And right here in this situation, we see the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. We see it, we see it very clearly. The curtain between the unseen and the seen is pulled aside. And, um, and we realize in this story that we're no match for Satan's power, but in Christ, we can be victorious. I have a, someone has Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 and 25. I want to read a couple of powerful promises here in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 24 and 25, who has that right here? Okay, fabulous. We're going to come to you in just a moment. The great controversy is very real, is it not? Very real. Jesus, uh, Jesus met the, the tempter, the great tempter in the wilderness, and now he's confronted by this demon in this individual again. And I think in each of our lives, we can probably attest to the fact that sometimes the, hot, the, 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 the battle wages hot. Many times we feel that the devil pressing in, trying to, trying to separate us from Christ and his word, and we're holding on and we're clinging on to Christ, and we must every time. The great controversy is very real. And, uh, and, and, uh, but thank the Lord that we don't need to succumb to the enemy. Isaiah chapter 25, ver 27, verse 5, we're going to read this before we get to chapter 49. Isaiah 27, verse 5, it says, Or let him take a hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. So Jesus invites us, God invites us to, 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 to hold on to him, to take a hold of his strength, that we might have peace. Jesus delivered this demoniac, this man possessed with, with evil spirits, and he was at peace. Jesus says, take a hold of my strength. Isaiah 49, verses 24 and 25. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? God says, I will contend with him that contends with you. You don't, you don't battle alone. You're not in this alone. Jesus called you to his side. You walk with him, and he will fight the battle for you. You cooperate with him. You, you league up with him. You, you have faith in him and his promises, and he promises deliverance and victory every time. Wonderful promises, you see. Now, in Luke's account of the gospel, we have the first recorded Sabbath healing, this one that we just read about, one of many more to come. The one who came to set the captives free, the one who gave us the Sabbath, a day of rest and peace, brings healing and liberation to prisoners of darkness on his holy day. There's a, there's a, there's a, a connection between God's ability to free us and his desire to liberate us and the blessings and promises of the Sabbath. Let's go over to Wednesday's lesson. Let's talk about the Lord of the Sabbath. We're over in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We're going to take a look at Christ dealing with the religious leaders over the Sabbath. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I'll read this for us. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. 
And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered them and said, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. That's right. You can read this story and its, and its account in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. So on another day, it would have been fine to rub grains of, of uh, heads of grain in one's hand, and you can, you can reference that to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. But according to rabbinical law or tradition, to do so on the Sabbath was considered a desecration of the day because you were considered to be reaping and threshing. <laughs> Just taking a little bit of grain and doing this was considered reaping and threshing. It's funny though, did you notice that they're walking through the grain field, just Jesus and the disciples, and all of a sudden the Pharisees are there? Where did they come from? They were spying on Jesus, weren't they? They followed him everywhere, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him, trying to declare that he was not, was not the Messiah. This was a part of the Mishnah, these, uh, the, some of these codified traditional laws of the Jews uh, that contain rules and regulations pertaining to religion that were formulated over hundreds of years by the Sanhedrin and famous rabbis. The Mishnah lists 39 primary types of labor prohibited on the Sabbath, and then each one of those 39 prohibitions uh, is given further detail regarding each of those pro prohibitions. Uh, common among them was the Sabbath day's journey. You couldn't travel more than 2,000 cubits or just under two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath. It was also considered Sabbath-breaking, according to the Mishnah, to look in a mirror that was hanging on the wall or to even light a candle. However, you could actually set, lay, have, have a, your hen lay an egg, sell that egg to a Gentile, hire a Gentile to light that candle for you. It was also unlawful to, let me see if I can get this, expectorate. That's just a fancy way of saying spit. Uh, expectorate on the ground, lest a grass, a blade of grass be irrigated. And it wasn't permissible even to carry a hanky or a handkerchief on the Sabbath day. What you needed to do was, in fact, sew it to your outer garment right here, which then no, made it, no longer made it a handkerchief, but it made it a part of your garment. To answer this double charge uh, that Jesus was reaping and threshing on the Sabbath, Jesus refers to the story of King da to David, who, wasn't, uh, who was running from Saul at that time. You can read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. It was all right. It was all right to eat dedicated bread of the temple. If it was, then it was all right for the disciples to satisfy their hunger on the Sabbath. Someone asked, is it all right for me to make toast and pour a bowl of cereal on the Sabbath? And you go ahead and do that. You need to eat, amen? You need to do that on the Sabbath. That's fine. In Matthew's account, Jesus reminds the religious leaders of the weekly Sabbath offering the priests performed. And you can read about that in Numbers 28, 9, and 10. The sacrifices, the offerings they were offering required much greater work to perform on the Sabbath than any other day of the week. And so Jesus refers to this in Matthew chapter 28, saying it's lawful for you to do that more work on the Sabbath as a priest than any other day because that work pointed to the redeeming power of Christ and therefore was in harmony with obedience and the keeping of the Sabbath, you see. 
Jesus said, I am Lord. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. If you're Lord over something, you what? You own it. You own it. It's yours. You own it, and it is yours. Jesus is here declaring that he and he alone has the right to determine what is appropriate to do on the Sabbath day. You don't need 39, a list of 39 rules and regulations to know how to keep the law. And then with those 39 lists of rules and regulations, have them all fleshed out, detailed out, you see. The church also has no right to load up uh, on the Sabbath day man-made traditions, and neither does any institution have the right to transfer the sacredness of the Sabbath to another day, even if they feel they're doing so with good intentions. The Sabbath is the Sabbath. You can't change it. It's a memorial of creation, amen? Have you ever thought about trying to change July 4, Independence Day? Can you do it? You can't do it. Why? Because it's linked to a historical event. The Sabbath can't be changed. Why? Because it's linked to a historical event. The seventh day, and the seventh day, the first day, is followed by the second, is followed by the third, the fourth. It's been going on for since the very beginning. No one has lost track of time. Scientists will tell you that. Even today, different languages of the world um, tell us that Saturday is the Sabbath. In, in Spanish, it is Sabado. In uh, Romanian, it is Sabbat. That's right. Um, And so different languages of the world declare Saturday to be the Sabbath. We haven't lost or missed anything. The weekly cycle has continued from the very, very beginning. However, the Bible does encourage us when it comes to Sabbath observance uh, that there are certain things that tend to distract us from giving our full attention to the worship of God over the Sabbath. If you look at Exodus, and I'll just give you a few verses, we're not going to look at them, but Exodus chapter 16, the story there where God feeds his people with manna. And what does he tell them to do? Go out every day and pick up what you need for each day. But on the sixth day, go out and collect for two days. That's right. So some folk decided they would collect more on, on Monday and uh, enough for Tuesday and Wednesday, and, some of, and then it got spoiled the next day, so it didn't work. And, uh, but God performed a very special miracle on the sixth day of the week, told them to collect what you're going to collect, bake what you're going to bake, boil what you're going to boil, make your food necessary food preparations so that you can actually keep the Sabbath holy, uh, free from distractions. Uh, and that's the, that's the principle here that I think we need to, need to keep in mind. You don't need to be uh, uh, making something or baking something or spending time in the kitchen, slaving away, uh, elbows up to tofu or, or tofu. Yeah, 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 that's right. Elbows up, uh, all the way up to tofu, yeah. So uh, we need to be sure that, uh, you know, if you're going to make the preparation for food, make it ahead of time. If you need to heat it up, there's an oven, there's a microwave. It's not, not, a, not a problem to be able to do that. We don't need to be so stringent and so uh, um, um, uh, pharisaical about it all. Yes, the day is holy, and I'm going to give you a couple other verses. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. God declares the day to be what? Holy. It's a holy day. So it's not just like any other day. It's not a day where you, you, you're going to be checking the stock market. Not another day you're going to be picking up just a secular newspaper or magazine or turning the radio on to listen to the news or whatever. It's a holy day. We're not going to be doing everyday stuff because this is, God is not an everyday God. This is a holy day. And he says you don't want to be working on the, on the seventh. He's, he's given us six days to do all of that work. And then in Nehemiah chapter 13, we have the principle of not buying or selling. Nehemiah was pretty aggressive about not allowing any trading going on out, inside or just outside the city of Jerusalem. And so, it, uh, so we need to, need to just forget 
buying and selling on the Sabbath. Just uh, leave it off because it's a distraction. And then Jesus in Matthew 24 verse 20 said, pray, when he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, talking to his people, he said, pray that your, Sabbath, your flight be not on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus encouraged and, and, and asked us to pray that uh, we wouldn't have to face any particular emergencies over the Sabbath. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, and um, let's read here the second story. Now, it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And by the way, Luke's the only one who records that the right hand was withered, telling us that his, he had a life of, of true inconvenience. If you were right-handed and your right hand was withered, uh, if you had problems with your right hand, then, if it was atrophied or paralyzed, then you'd have problems. Luke says it was his right hand that he had a problem with. So the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation. But he knew their thoughts and said to them who had the withered hand, arise and stand here, and he rose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them, he said to the man, stretched out, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. Can you imagine the religious leaders upset that Jesus actually set a man free because it was done on the Sabbath? Amazing, amazing story here. The life giver, the creator, gives this man a new hand by performing a miracle over the Sabbath. And he answers the question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath with a resounding what? Yes, absolutely. Now, we need to qualify what good is. Now, the religious leaders of that particular day figured that you didn't want to deal with a, any chronic illness you wouldn't want to deal with, but emergencies potentially you could, you could deal with. We need to qualify good. If, there's, if someone is on the side of the road and they've got a flat, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath to help them with their flat tire. Oh man, it's silent in here, isn't it? it sh you should help them. It is lawful to do what? Good. Someone calls you. Look, my, fa my fence needs painting on the Sabbath. I need you to come over. Oh, no, Sabbath. He wouldn't say Sabbath. He'd say Saturday. I need you to come over on Saturday to paint my fence. Is it lawful to do paint a fence on the Sabbath? No. That's something that could be done later on. We're dealing with emergencies, necessary cases that need to be taken care of, you see. So Jesus said it is lawful to do good. Of the 20 specific cases of healing mentioned in the Gospels, seven or one-third of the miracles took place over the Sabbath, teaching us that ministering to those who are in need of care falls into full harmony with the spirit of the Sabbath. Let's take a look at a couple of, couple of quick other stories in, on Thursday's lesson. We're going over to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. And I'm just going to read these stories for us and then summarize. Luke 13, verses 10 through 16. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had the spirit of infirmity 18 years. She had uh, the cur a curvature of the spine and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she, made, she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord then answered them and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his donkey or ox from the stall and lead it away to water it? 
So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Hmm. Jesus calls them hypocrites because they have more care to water their livestock than to care for and help someone who's in desperate need. Now jump over to Luke 14, verses 1 through 6, another story. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, the Sabbath was a day of hospitality, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. That was a surplus of fluid in the body tissues. And uh, Jesus answering spake, spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, it is, lawful to heal, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and, took, and uh, let him go. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So Jesus again reveals that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath by healing the man. And he dismisses them before the meal, perhaps to save uh, him from uh, the hassles of dealing with the religious hypocrites. In asking the Pharisees if they would rescue their ox on the Sabbath, Jesus shows what is really in their hearts, that their animals were far more worth than were human beings. Now, talking about the ox in the ditch, there are some folk who have spent so much time, have, their ox spends so much time in the ditch that they probably ought to do something about the ox or fill the hole in that ditch. We need to try to remove the distractions that, uh, so that we can do something positive for others on the Sabbath day. God gives us the Sabbath day as a day of mercy, a day of ministry, a day of rest, and a day of relationships. So my appeal to us is to not forget the blessings of the seventh-day Sabbath. What do you say? Sure. We want to thank those who've been joining us as well, uh, been viewing us. Don't forget to uh, call in or write in uh, to receive your free offer, offer number 21518. Uh, call in the number and the email address is on your screen. Write to us, let us know how you're enjoying the program. And thank you for joining us and uh, God bless you.